You're listening to the Coastal Church Audio Podcast with Pastor Dave Koop. We're in a new series for the month of August. We've just finished a series on hostage, different things that hold us hostage. We talked about how addictions can hold us captive, how bitterness could hold us captive. We talked about how lying could hold us captive, and that was last week's message. We had a great time in life groups talking about that particular topic, and uh, if you were in a life group, I'm sure you had a great discussion just like we did. We really were diving into it, talking about white lies and how do we just let our yes be yes and our no be no and be people of our word. It was a really interesting conversation. During the week, one of the ladies mentioned to me that there was a time that it was okay to lie, and I was really curious, okay, when is that? Because we really got into this in our life group. When is it okay to lie? And you can lie at night, so I, I... I finally got it figured out, and uh, so that's that's your skill testing question for today. You know the answer to it now, uh, but we're going to be moving from that to talking about eternity this next month. And so, in your bulletin, you'll have the messages that are coming up today. We're just going to introduce it that really eternity is in our hearts. We've been created with that, and we reflect on that this morning. We're going to talk a bit about the weeks to come, get a glimpse of eternity. We don't know a lot about it, but we get a glimpse of it. We'll be going through some things like, where is heaven? Uh, What will I look like? What will I remember? Who will be there? Can my loved ones see me from heaven? And so we'll talk a bit about that next week, so come back next week. A number of years ago, you know what we did? We went out on the street, and we asked people what they thought about eternity, and we did it on Robson Street, and we had some really, really radical answers, uh, far-out answers. Some, it was really interesting. So this week, we're going to do another streeter. Last week, we went out on the street. We interviewed people on the street. So they're doing another streeter. Come back next week, and you'll get the response from people on the street, what they think about eternity. And uh, we'll be showing that next weekend. So come out for that and just find out what people are thinking on Robson Street and in our neighborhood about what, uh, what heaven is about, what eternity is about. So that's, that's next week. And we'll talk a bit about this month living in the light of eternity. If we understand and realize that we are eternal, that there is more to it than just living this life. Right now we're living in the dash. If you go to a graveyard, you'll see the day somebody was born, dash, and the day they die. And all of us today we're living in the dash. You know your birthday, but you don't know the day you're going to die. So right now we're living in the dash, so to speak. And while we're living in the dash, we want to be thinking about eternity. And if we, if we really have a concept or an understanding that it's more to it than just what I'm living in the dash, the way we live the dash will be different. So that'll be one of the messages. And then we're going to talk about Jesus and eternity. He had a lot to say about it, and we'll get into some of it. There's no way we can unpack all of it. We'll We'll talk a little bit about it, and hopefully it's enough just to whet our appetite to be thinking and reading and and studying it. Uh, We should think about heaven. We should think about things to come. Billy Graham tells a story when he was once talking about heaven. He told a story. He went to this little town he was meeting. It was early on in his ministry, and he went to this small town, and he was looking for the post office to mail a letter, and he asked this young boy on the street, he said, young man, do you know where the post office is? And the young guy says, yeah, you know, go down here, down there, and that's where the post office is. And so he said, you know, I'm going to invite this young guy to come out to the service that I'm at, he said, you know, young man, I'm going to be speaking down there at such and such a church, and, and uh, I, I'm going to be telling people how to get to heaven. Would you like to come? And he goes, no, I don't think so. You don't even know where the post office is, so <laughs> I don't think I'm going to be going to that. 
So the first point in our message this morning is that every person has a sense of eternity. If you're taking notes, the word you're going to put in there is eternity. A few years ago, the National Post did a survey in Canada, and they, they asked people, uh, do you believe in God? And asked different questions. And one of the questions they asked was, do you believe in a life hereafter? And for Canadians at that time, I don't know if it's changed much today. That was a few years ago. But the came back with the response that 53.5% of the people in that survey said, yes, we believe in a life hereafter. And yet, you know, God says he's put eternity in everybody's heart. Really, I think there's a time, sooner or later, we think about heaven. I put a quote in your notes from a great theologian by the name of Alice Cooper. And uh, he, he was a shock rocker who, who gave his life to God. And I, I think, well, if, there's, if he can give his life to God, maybe there's hope for Lady Gaga as well, that she could <laughs> give her life to God. Well, there is hope, right? Absolutely. And, uh, but he, he gave his life to the Lord, and, and he said this, People aren't feeling fulfilled by how many cars they own or the size of their stock portfolio. Even the addicts are saying, it doesn't matter how many drugs I take, I am not fulfilled. I'm, this isn't satisfying. There's a spiritual hunger going on. Everybody feels it. Then I like what he says here. It's very powerful. If you don't feel it now, you will. Trust me, you will. And it's true. You may not say, well, I don't know if I feel eternity now. I don't know if it's in my heart now. But he's saying, you know, one day you will. And it's true. There, certain things kind of awake us in life. Wait a minute. There's more to life than just getting a job, getting a schooling, getting a family, or whatever. There's something more. There's something in me. I feel like there's more to it than, than what I'm experiencing on the planet. There's got to be more to life than this. The great mathematician, philosopher, physicist, Blaise Pascal said, There is a God-shaped vacuum in the heart of every man which cannot be filled by any created thing, but only by God, the Creator, made known through Jesus. And he's right. There's a void in our life. There's, there's something in us. We know that we're created for more than this. The verse that we're using is out of Ecclesiastes, and it says here in Ecclesiastes uh, chapter 3, verse 11, God has made everything beautiful for its own time. He has planted eternity into the human heart. Planted eternity into our heart. If you have a computer and it says on the outside, Intel chip inside. And that's us. Eternity chip inside. God has planted an eternity chip in us. And we, you can't remove it. You can't do anything about it. You don't need to upgrade it. It's good for all eternity. But you have an Intel, no, eternity chip on the inside of you. It's better than the Intel chip. We have this eternity chip inside of us. We're, we're designed that way to have eternity. It's in our hearts. And the verse goes on to say, but even so, people cannot see the whole scope of God's work from beginning to end. We have eternity in our heart, but yet we're very finite. We just, we just know that there's, there's something more. Paul, at one time, the great writer of the about two-thirds of the New Testament, he said, we look through a glass dimly. We, do, we don't see it all, but we, we know there's more. It's kind of like looking out one of these windows. They're, they're, you, you can't see everything, but if I look out that window in the back, I, I know there's a tree there. I can't give you all the details. I can see it moving. I can see that it's there, but it is absolutely there because I look through a glass dimly. And for eternity, we, we get a glimpse of it. We don't see it all, but we, we know that it it's real. The world from, you know, go back as far as you want, and people have 
always believed in a life hereafter. You can go to the remote part of Africa or the remote part of Asia or South America, anywhere in the world, and people believe that there's a life hereafter. They've got different versions of it. You could have happy hunting grounds. You can have nirvana. You can have heaven. You have all these different versions. But undeniably, people around the world believe that there's more. It's, why? Because God planted it in our hearts. There's eternity in our hearts. We come up with different versions. There's, there's a version that we would believe maybe that uh, uh, we, it's called disembodiment, where when I die, my spirit just kind of floats around, and we have ghosts. And that's where you get the idea of ghosts from, and Plato thought that way, and different cultures around the world have taken that view. There's reincarnation, which states that when we die, we're reborn as another living being based on our karma, so there's reincarnation. There's extinction, which is, well, when I die, I'm just temporary. When I die, it's over, done, finished, kaput, no more. That's it, finished. Very temporary. And there's many people that think that way. Many Canadians think that way. It's just temporary. But there's a law called the second law of thermodynamics, which says that energy can never be destroyed. We're, we're energy. A movie that came out a number of years ago was called 21 Grams, starring Sean Penn and Naomi Watts. And that movie was all about the fact that when you die, you actually weigh less. And there was different studies that were done. Supposedly, it was 21 grams, and it's been debated. But the fact was that something leaves you when you die, and it was your spirit. Does your life have a weight? Uh, apparently, it might just have a weight. So if we think our life is temporary, it's kind of like holding this ball. If you, you think you're temporary, it's like thinking the trajectory of the ball ends when it leaves my hand. There's a point when the ball is under my control. I, I can choose its future and where it goes. But once I let go of the ball, it still exists. It's still there. So as long as it's in my hand, I can control it. But if I let go of the ball, it's still there. When you die, you're still there. So if I, if I have the ball in my hand, I can choose where it goes. But when I die, I still exist. It's here now, but when I die... Good, good catch, Brad. Uh, he can play guitar, catch, he's talented. <laughs> when you die, what you did in this life, living in the gap, will determine the trajectory of your life afterwards. We, we live on. And as believers, we certainly go back and know that what we understand for eternity is based on the resurrection of Jesus. That is our hope. Absolutely. If you, if you take the truth of the resurrection out of the, our equation for eternity, everything would collapse. But Jesus comes along and he says to his disciples, I am the way, I am the truth, and the life. He conquers death. When we follow Jesus, we follow somebody who defeated death. That's why Paul said, Sting, where's your death? If you've ever been stung by a by a bee or a wasp or something, and, and it, it hurts and it swells up. And, you know, death may hurt us a bit, but there's no swelling. There's no infection. There's no pain with it. God has removed the effect of death through Jesus Christ because he's the resurrection and the life. Everything hinges on this. It's so important. It's the most studied fact in history that Jesus died and rose again. A lot of great people actually settled to disprove it. Great minds, great lawyers, a lot smarter than me set up to, I ain't going to disprove this because it's really the hinge pinch for Christianity. Some of the people that did that was a lawyer by the name of Frank Morrison, a British lawyer. He set out to write a book to disprove it. 
but he found the evidence so overwhelming, he wrote the book, Who Moved the Stone? Another great lawyer from Harvard by the name of Simon Greenleaf, who was called the greatest authority of legal evidences in the history of the world, concluded that the resurrection of Christ was a reality that anyone who examined the evidence for it honestly would be convinced. Another guy by the name of Lou Wallace, he set out to disprove it. He ended up writing a book, which you may have heard of, called Ben-Hur. They made a number of movies about that after that. Another great lawyer by the name of Sir Lionel Alfred LeCou. He was twice knighted by the queen, had a lot of outstanding achievements, was mentioned in the uh, Guinness Book of World Records under the category most successful lawyer for obtaining 245 consecutive murder charge acquittals. Brilliant, brilliant man. And he had this to say, Sir Lionel LeCou, Jesus died by crucifixion at 33 years of age, but he conquered death. Jesus rose from the grave. He's alive. He's living. This is a fact of history that Jesus came back alive to die no more. He was taken up and promises to return when he will take his saints with him into heaven. These are brilliant men that have studied and proven that the resurrection absolutely took place. And that is key for our belief for eternity. Romans chapter 1, it's also there in your notes. Let's take a look at that one. Romans 1, 19 and 20 says, For the truth about God is known to them instinctively. God has put this knowledge in their hearts. It's, it's in us. We have it there. It just needs to be awakened. From the time the world was created, people have seen the earth, the sky, and all God made. They can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature. So they have no excuse whatsoever for not knowing God. Second thing we want to talk about when we talk about eternity is that God encourages us to think about eternity. He wants us to be thinking about eternity because someday we're going to be living in heaven with him forever. So he wants us to think about eternity. You live your life differently, like I mentioned, when you think about eternity. Have you ever planned to go somewhere and you didn't, didn't look where you're going? Do you ever just jump on the car and say, let's just go somewhere? That, that can be fun. It can also be a disaster. We find it's better to plan our holidays. And if we plan to go somewhere, we'll, we'll get on the Internet and we'll, we'll go to TripAdvisor. We'll say, is this the best hotel? We'll read all the comments and we'll go through it and say, oh, okay. Some of you are smiling because you've done the same thing. Or we'll, we'll get onto another app called like Yelp or something. We'll say, okay, let me look it up. What's around the area? Where could I go eating? Where could we go? That's always important on holidays. seems that we check that out first. Where do you eat? Uh, we check out, you know, what activities we want to go biking or if we want to play some tennis. And we, we check out what's happening happening in the area and then we we plan our holiday accordingly we say okay what's the weather going to be like you know we're going in the month of march how hot is it going to be what should we pack and don't we put a lot of thought into when we go somewhere and we're only going for a week but we we think a lot about where we're going one week but folks we're going to spend eternity and he said think about where you're going if i'm going just for a week to Let's say Palm Springs. You know, the week prior, I'm thinking about Palm Springs every day. I'm just thinking, because we usually go in January, and that week before, I said, three more days, I'm out of the rain. Two more days, I'm out of the rain. One more day, I'll get vitamin D. And I'm thinking, <laughs> I'm thinking about that. And when we, but we're, we're going to be, for eternity, we're going to be somewhere else. And Paul said, set your th- sights on it. Think about it. God encourages us to think about heaven. To think about things eternally. When we understand that there's eternity, we actually live our lives a little bit differently. My wife Cheryl has a great phrase around the house, and she'll often bring it up when something happens, and she'll say, Dave, you know, in the light of eternity, it really doesn't matter. 
I know this didn't get done, or I know the milk spilt, or I know the fridge isn't clean, but in the light of eternity, it's really not going to make any difference in the light of eternity. So God wants us to think about eternity. Uh, it's there in your notes, Colossians chapter 3, verse 1. Since you've been raised to a new life with Christ, set your sights, your sights on the realities of heaven. If you've ever shot a rifle, you have to use the sights. If you want to hit something, you've got to use the sights. If you have a scope, you actually, you know, you dial in your sights. But if you've ever done that, you know that when you look in the sights, or if you've had a bow and arrow and you've had to set the sights, to do that, don't you have to kind of put other thoughts aside and really focus on that for a bit in order to hit the target? It's, this statement isn't just a one-time thing. In the Greek, set your sights is progressive, ongoing. We, we daily should set our sights on eternity. It's easy to set our sights on our education. Oh, i got to graduate from university. Set our sights just on, you know, making more money. Set our sights on getting a bigger condo, another car, a holiday, all those things. None of them bad. But Paul said, set your sights on heaven. These are, these are temporal. They'll pass away. There's an eternity that we need to be remembering in our day-to-day lives. I like what C.S. Lewis said. If you read history, you'll find that the Christians who did the most for the present world were just those who thought most of the next. It is since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that it becomes so effective in this. Aim at heaven, and you'll get earth thrown in. Aim at earth, and you'll get neither. A lot of truth to that. The way we live, what we do today, whether it be for our families, whether we, what we do in business, how we do business, what we're doing in our communities, how we help in our communities, is hugely affected by our view of eternity. There was a Swedish secretary general. He happened to also win a Nobel Peace Prize. He put it this way. It is our conception of death which decides our answers to all the questions that life puts to us. What we believe happens to us when we die it has a huge effect on us for all eternity. And we, we live in a world and a culture and a generation that, you know, we, we, don't, we don't like to think about it. We think about it at a funeral for a bit, and we, we make light of it. We, we, we kind of joke about it. And we can, you know, ACDC came out of a song a number of years ago, I'm on the highway to hell, and, you know, talking about it's going to be a party, it's going to be fun, and we kind of make light of it. You know, Satan is a liar, like we said last week. He's a father of lies. There's no truth in him. You know what? It's not going to be a party. So, oh, I'm going to go to hell. We're going to have a party there. Heaven's boring. You float around on fluffy clouds and play a cello, and, and you've got fat angels that wait on you. I don't want that. That's boring. Folks, heaven is not going to be boring. Is earth boring? I don't think so. Are, are, the, are the mountains, North Shore Mountains, beautiful? Absolutely. Why? Because God's beautiful. Are, are, are the fish of the sea amazing? Is God's creation amazing? Is it, is it, fa- is it fascinating? Absolutely. Why? Because God's fascinating. Are little puppies fun? Yeah, they're fun. Why? Because God's fun. Is work rewarding and fulfilling? Absolutely, because God's rewarding and fulfilling. Is it great to have friends and have community and, and be with people and have relationship? Absolutely. Why? Because God's in relationship. Has been from the beginning. That's why there's a trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. He's in, he's in communion. 
One of the greatest lies of the enemy is that, oh, you know what? Hell will be a party and you'll be with your friends. You won't be with your friends. You'll be alone. If they say, that's the road I want, it's, it's alone. Remember last week we talked about when Satan, the father of our lives, went to Adam and Eve in the garden. He said he, he broke the trust. He lied to them. And that lie broke that relationship. Lies break relationships. It breaks trust. Trust is the glue, the mortar, the cement that holds our relationships together. You lie to your girlfriend a couple times, the relationship's over. I don't want to date you anymore. Lie to your wife, lie to your spouse, lie to your kids. The relationships are broken. And his goal, his objective is to get you alone. Heaven's a place of abundance. Set your sights on it. Hell is a place of loneliness, torment. Have to pop those lies. Truth sets you free. Three, eternity will prove we're made for another world. We're made for another world. Philippians 3.20 says, For our citizenship is in heaven. Citizenship is in heaven. (laughs) You got a Canadian citizenship. Maybe you got an American citizenship. Maybe you have a Chinese citizenship. Maybe you have dual citizenship. Maybe you've got triple citizenship. That's, That's pretty cool. But everybody can have dual citizenship. I have dual citizenship. I've got one Canadian passport, but I have a heavenly passport. I have a citizenship in heaven. As a matter of fact, that's my real country. I'm living in the dash. I'm, I'm just journeying through, but there, there's another day. It talks about Abraham in the Bible, that he was looking forward to another home. That's our real home. We've got a passport for that place. And you don't have to renew it every five years. Isn't that good? You ever look at your passport picture? You know, you go there, you get your picture, you can't smile. Isn't that the weirdest thing? Okay, no. You smile too much. But I'm a happy person. You can't be happy. No, no. <laughs> Take that smile off your face. I want to get your picture. Okay, no teeth, no smile. Look really. Okay, good picture. It's the only place you have a good picture, you can look bad. You know, they say a good picture. But we have dual citizenship. We have heavenly citizenship, earthly citizenship. And Paul makes it clear that our citizenship is in heaven from which we eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus. C.S. Lewis said this, I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy. I have a desire, something, why? Because God put eternity in my heart, and no, no desire satisfies it. I thought if I had a corner office, president on my business card, CEO, that would satisfy me. I got the corner office, I got that on my business card, Still not satisfied. I thought if I got a Lamborghini that went zero to 60 in three seconds, I would be satisfied. I went fast, but it didn't satisfy me. I thought if I lost five more pounds and I fit into a size such and such dress, I would be satisfied. I lost five pounds, I fit the dress, but I'm not satisfied. I thought I'd be satisfied if I had a cruise around the world and saw all the sights, I'd be satisfied. I thought if I was this relationship or that relationship or I had this, but I'm not satisfied. Look what he writes. I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy. If that happens, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. There's this itch we have on the inside, this yearning on the inside. Where's it from? God, he put eternity into our hearts. He wants us to be thinking about it. There was this missionary couple that came back from Africa. They had gone to Africa, labored, worked hard. Folks, they gave their life. They went there, 
gave their life, worked, helped disadvantaged people their entire life. They're old. They're coming back to enjoy the last few years of their life. They're on an ocean liner with President Teddy Roosevelt. They pulled into New York. Teddy Roosevelt had been on a big game hunting. He, he loved big game hunting. He loved adventures. He'd gone to the Amazon, had a river named after him there. He loved adventure. If you know anything about Teddy Roosevelt, what he did even in the Dakotas, he was this man of adventure. And he comes back into New York, and the band's playing, the mayor's there, banners are up, front page of the newspaper, Teddy Roosevelt returns from his big game hunt. And so the couple is there, and they watch Teddy Roosevelt come off the boat, and everybody's greeting him. The band's playing. What a celebration. And this couple gets off. They walk down. They had given their life. They hadn't shot big game. They had saved people's lives and rescued people. They get off the boat. Nobody meets them. Given their life. Years there, but nobody's shaking their hand. Nobody's saying, welcome home. Nobody's saying, good job. They come home, and they go to this little apartment that they've rented, and the husband's depressed. And he's moping around, and his wife says, what's wrong? He says, I don't get it. We went to Africa. We gave our life there. We helped people. We did all this amazing work to help the people. For years, we come home, and not one person, not even somebody from the church is there to greet us. Teddy Roosevelt goes, and he shoots a couple of animals. He comes off, and the band plays, and the mayor's there. And we go there and give our life, and there's nobody there. And he says, it's not fair. And she, like a good wife, says, "Uh, honey, I think you should just go to the bedroom and pray. That's probably a good place for you. And so he goes to the bedroom, and he's praying. He says, God, it's not fair. Look, he comes home. He has this. I come home, and nothing. And God says to him, but you're not home. When you get home, I will not overlook one thing that you've done for me. Because the Bible says, if even you gave a cup of cold water, I will remember it. And for us, sometimes we think, man, you know what? I, I, I wrote a check and I supported that, but there wasn't even a thank you note. I, I served there and nobody even came by and said, good job. Or I, I did this for my kids, and I, or I did this in my community, or I, I, I served, but I, and I went to my job, and I, I served it like I was serving the Lord, but I didn't even get a pay increase. And I'm, oh, I'm tired of that. And you just feel like, where's my reward? And the Lord would say to you today, you're not home yet. Wait till you come home. There's going to be a day of reward. There's going to be a day where God will say, well done. I saw it good, faithful servant. Yeah. I want to move on here. The Holy Spirit is a, is a taste or a down payment of a glorious eternity. Reading out of the Amplified Bible, it's, it's really good in the Amplified Bible. It says here in verse 13, In him you also have heard, who have heard the word of truth, the glad tidings of your salvation, and have believed in and adhered to and relied on were stamped with the seal of the long-promised Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was promised in the Old Testament. Jesus comes, died, raised again, and then the Holy Spirit was given. That Spirit is the guarantee of our inheritance, the first fruits, the pledge, and foretaste, the down payment, if you like, of our heritage in anticipation of its full redemption and our acquiring complete possession of it to the praise of His glory. It's a taste 
or a down payment. Right now, we have a taste or down payment of what's coming. Do you ever go to Costco and go do all the tasting? I love doing that. I like going to Costco. <laughs> Cheryl's off shopping, and I'm off tasting, you know? And I, they got the crackers and the cheese. Oh, God, I have one of those. And I'll even stand in a lineup, you know? They got the little ovens, and they're warming up something, you know? I'm just standing there, and... You know what's... It's a drag when you go, and they're all out. They say, you got to come back in five minutes, and we'll have it ready. Oh, okay. So I come back, and then I go, okay, what do you got this time? And they'll have that. And then they'll say, okay, would you like to buy the big package? I go, no, no, I'm just tasting. <laughs> and I'll go on to the next one, you know. You could have a pretty good meal at Costco just doing all the tasting. <laughs> so I do a lot of tasting when I go to Costco. And right now, we're, we're tasting. We can taste what heaven will be like. But we're certainly not experiencing all that God has for us. If you've ever been in a place where you just said, God, I feel you so close. Maybe it's when... You come up after service and somebody prays for you, or maybe it's in your bedroom, or maybe it's been in a car on a sky train. It could be anywhere. You just, man, I just feel the closeness of God. You've been doing your devotions. You've been reading, and God speaks to you out of his word. You, the, the words on the page just kind of pop off. Oh, God, that's for me. And you just sense God so close. That's a foretaste. You can't handle too much more of it. But it's a foretaste of what's to come. And it also says it's like a down payment. If I make a down payment on a car and I give them 10%, I haven't got it all. There's more to come. And this verse says, folks, there's more to come. This is good, but wait, what's to come? It's amazing. Heaven's amazing. It's a taste of what's to come. Romans chapter 8, 22 and 23, it's there in your notes, it says, For we know that all creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth up to this present time. Earth has been groaning. Have you noticed that earth is groaning? Groaning? I read a couple of years ago the book Inconvenient Truth by Al Gore, and I noticed the graphs in there. If you've ever looked at the book, or just go to chapters and pick it up and, and leaf through it, and you'll see a number of graphs. He graphs out the extinction of species. And it goes like this. If x-axis is time and y-axis is frequency, it goes like this. And you hit about the year 1900 and onward, and it just goes exponentially up. Then he also grasps the increase of CO2, and it goes the same way. He grasps population, and it goes the same way. And also straight up, exponentially. He has a number of graphs like that. And God, he talks, he grasps floods, frequency of floods, same thing. You can graph Earthquakes, a little more jagged, but has the same effect. You can graph, how about explosion of knowledge? Daniel said in the last time, it would be a great explosion of knowledge. Does it look the same? What if we graphed increase in travel? Would it look the same? Past 1900, go towards the year 2000, does it go up exponentially? You talk to somebody today, where were you? I was in Sweden last week, or I was in Switzerland last week, I was in South America. We travel today like people used to travel to another town. Daniel said, in those last days, great increase in travel. You can graph a whole bunch of things, and one of them is calamities. Nation rise up against nation. You just have to look what happened in Norway, what looked happened in in, in, in Japan this year, what looked happened in these other places of the world, and you realize there's a shaking that's going on in the world. Joe Rosenberg is often on, interviewed by different television stations, recently wrote, the nations are being shaken, physically, spiritually, emotionally, financially, politically, 
in so many ways. People of Norway have been shaken. Japan was shaken this year. The people of Egypt, Syria, Tunisia, Yemen have all been shaken dramatically recently. Greece has been shaken by its unprecedented debt increase and result in riots and social unrest. Americans, he says, as an American, we too are being shaken. We face arguably the worst economic crisis since the Great Depression. Nearly half of Americans believe that we're heading towards another Great Depression. Unemployment is over 9%. The government's boring. He said, our government is trying to spend our way to prosperity, but it's making things worse. Our annual federal budget deficit topped $1.3 Then he says, what if all these events aren't random? What if the God of the Bible is allowing these things to happen to shake us and wake us, to get our attention, that we might turn to him, think about eternity, ask him to have mercy on us, to help us? The prophet Haggai said this, For thus says the Lord of hosts, once more in a little while, I'm going to shake the heavens and the earth. Then out of the New Testament in Hebrews we read, See to it that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For those do not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape who turn away from him who warns from heaven. And his voice shook the earth then, but now he's promising, yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heaven. Therefore, since we receive a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us show gratitude by which we offer to God an acceptable service with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. He's saying, look up, wake up. Jesus spoke of this. We'll talk about the last Sunday, about Jesus and eternity. And his message wasn't like, okay, you guys, you better be worried. This better freak you out. He said, no, no, no. Be of good cheer. It's okay. I've overcome. Just look up your eye. Lift up your head. Your redemption draws nigh. It's going to be okay. I have eternity. I'm okay with it. I'm in control. Look unto me. Put your hope, your trust in me. When does eternal life start? It starts now. Jesus said in John chapter 11, 25 and 26, He's speaking to Martha. This is when Lazarus is raised from the dead. And he says, I am the resurrection and the life. I am the resurrection. I am the life. Just like last week he said, I am the truth. Not talking about a truth. I am the truth. I am the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. When you go to a funeral and say somebody died, their body died, but they didn't die. They still live. You can't, you're, you lose touch for a bit. You, you can't get in touch with them, but they're, they're still alive. Their spirit is alive. The real them is alive. Jesus is making this clear. Though he die, he, will, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you, do you believe this? He asked, do you believe this? He'd still say today, Coastal Church, do you believe this? Do you believe I am the resurrection and the life? Do you believe that though you die, you will live? Do you believe this? He said, do you believe you're going to have life right now? Eternal life doesn't start when you die. Okay, here we, we think so chronologically. Okay, here it goes. Now I die. Now starts eternal life. No, eternal life starts right now. The minute you say, geez, I accept what you've done for me. It's like eternity kind of intercepts chronological time. And that there's this eternal relationship with God that begins the minute we say, God, I, I receive what you've done for me. There's a great story in the book called Heaven. This is one of the best books I've read on heaven by Randy Alcorn. And uh, I think we're ordering more in. We, we sold a lot of them, so I don't know if there's any left, but there'll be more next week. And I encourage you to pick it up, a great book on heaven. And in here he writes a little story. I'm just going to read this in conclusion this morning about the importance of preparing ourselves. 
There's a, there's a book in heaven called the book of life. Our names get written in it. There's a, there's a banquet when we get to heaven. <laughs> you talk about a meal. You know, it's 12.07. Our stomachs could be growling right now. We're thinking, oh man, where am I going to go for lunch? Or maybe you've been to a big banquet or barbecue. And we've got a great uh, church picnic coming up in September. It's going to be a lot of fun. But there is a banquet coming called the Marriage Supper of the Lamb you do not want to miss. You talk about exciting. Anyhow, in light of all that, I'm going to read a little bit from this book called Heaven. It's about a woman named Ruthanna Metzgar. If you've ever gone to Seattle and you, there's one really, really tall uh, building there, not the, the space needle, but there's another really tall building. If you go down the I-5 right through the middle of Seattle, there's this really tall building. Next time you drive through, think about this story. Ruthanna Metzgar was a professional singer, and she tells a story that illustrates the importance of having our names written in the book. Several years ago, she was asked to sing at the wedding of a very wealthy man. According to the invitation, the reception would be held on the top two floors of Seattle's Columbia Tower, the northwest tallest skyscraper. She and her husband, Roy, were excited about attending. At the reception, waiters and tuxedos offered uh, hors d'oeuvres and exotic beverages. The bride and groom approached a beautiful glass and brass staircase that led to the top of the floor. You can Google it. I Google it just for fun, and you can see that stairway. It's pretty cool. Someone ceremoniously cut a satin ribbon draped across the bottom of the stairs. They announced the wedding feast was about to begin. Bride and groom ascended the stairs, followed by their guests. At the top of the stairs, a major D with a bound book greeted the guests outside the doors. May I have your name, please? I am Ruthanna Metzgar, and my husband is Roy. He searched the M's. I am not finding it. Would you spell please. Ruthanna spelled her name slowly. After searching the book, the maitre d' looked up and said, I'm sorry, but your name isn't here. There must be a mistake. Ruthanna replied, I'm the singer. I sang for the wedding. The gentleman answered, it doesn't matter who you are or what you did. Without your name in the book, you cannot attend the banquet. He motioned to a waiter and said, show these people to the service elevator, please. The Metzgars followed the waiter, past beautifully decorated tables, laid with shrimp, smoked salmon, ice sculptures, adjacent to the banquet area. Orchestra was performing Preparing to perform, musicians dressed in dazzling white tuxedos. The waiter let Ruth Anna and Roy to the service elevator, ushered them in, and pressed G for the parking garage. After locating their car, driving several miles in silence, Roy reached over, put his hand on Ruth Anna's arm. Sweetheart, what happened? Well, when the invitation arrived, I was busy, she replied. I never bothered to RSVP. Besides, I was a singer. Surely I could go to the reception without returning the RSVP. Ruthanna started to weep, not only because she had missed the most lavish banquet she'd ever been invited to, but, she all, but also because she suddenly had a small taste of what it was like someday for people as they stand before Christ and find their names not written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Throughout the ages, countless people have been too busy to respond to Christ's invitation to his banquet. Many assume that the good they've done Perhaps attending church, being baptized, singing the choir, helping in a soup kitchen would be enough to gain entry to heaven. But he, people who do not respond to Christ's invitation to forgive their sins are people whose names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. To be denied entrance to heaven's banquet will not just mean going down the service elevator to the garage. It will mean being cast outside into hell forever. In that day, no explanation or excuse will count. All that will matter is whether our names are written in the book. If they're not, we'll be turned away. Have you said yes to Christ's invitation to join him at the wedding feast and spend eternity with him in his house? If so, you have no reason to rejoice. 
If, if so, you have reason to rejoice. Heaven's gates will be open to you. We tell jokes about heaven's gates. Apparently, Peter's there, and it's pearly gates, and we make a lot of fun jokes about it. Lawyers often get picked on when it comes to that. But really, folks, it's not going to be a joke. We need to RSVP. You could be here this Sunday, and you say, you know, I've just been too busy. I've never responded. I I believe there's a God, and I believe Jesus came and lived and died and did that, but I've, I've never responded and said, yes, I will accept your invitation. We don't do it by works. It's by grace. It's free. Costs him a lot, but for us, it's free. But it needs a response. Thank you for listening to this podcast. If you would like to download free notes from this message, then visit our website, www.coastalchurch.org. 